Saturday night. Um, so we've come for this retreat. Uh, it's been uh, like nine days exploration, nine day excursion, pleasure trip to the. karmic experience mm. this practice is uh, certainly not a nine day practice or um, it's a lifetime practice this means one has to uh, recognize a kind of measuring attitude towards it uh, it's not something we can c- complete in nine days it's like knowing the path and fruit and uh, being able to see them both as as refuges as things to refer to mm. fruit we may arrive at particular fruitions, small fruit, great fruit, um, <laughs> bittersweet, and so on. And yet, of course, there's, there's still more stuff on the tree. Uh, knowing how to assimilate some of the, the goodness of, one's, of your practice, of our practice, so that that process of assimilation is part of the path it has to be the path has to have a looping effect that is we we begin it's lovely in the beginning we begin beautifully with a sense of commitment a sense of aspiration sense of questing to an unknown it's beautiful in the middle we uh, persevere, we enter, um, we stand in the middle of our life, of our experience, mm. and it's beautiful in the end. And one knows how to complete in a process that um, is not completable. One knows how to come to a surface, if you like, come to a place of, of resting. Mm. So in any particular um, sustained period of practice, then uh, one has to recognize the need to have beautiful beginning, beautiful in the middle, beautiful in the end. Um, seeing that as a, like a microcosm of the whole experience you know, towards some complete ending or you know, ultimate completion when which is going to take a while so one of course can with with meditation we we can get very much um, into the things like whether one is a good one samadhi is developed or 
you know, whether all the little crinkles and dents have been ironed out of the heart, um, you know, realizations, what stage one's at, Nibbana and so forth. And so we look for rather large conclusions, and maybe the conclusion is, well, a not so bad temper as it was ten years ago. Um, you know, just recognizing that maybe one is a little more patient, or you know, one has learned a few things, and seeing that that there's still a, there's a fruition there. If we can't taste the the fruitions that arrive, then we don't get fed and nourished to continue the path. So, it's learning how to 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 realize what has been uh, seen. Uh, what has been made strong, what has been clarified, and actually drink in and take in the goodness of that, so one can find a place of contentment. And contentment is a extraordinarily rare experience for humans. Um, in a way, you know, we need that sense of sangwega urgency keep us going but the other thing to remember also the Buddha recommended this uh, uh, Santosa Santuti to be contented to find a place of contentment within the incomplete um, incompletion of our process this is like also being able to, to move from the core to the surface uh, you know, to, to come back to, to surface qualities, if you like, such as one's, um, you know, completion of honesty, one's completion of harmlessness, one's completion of, you know, as these things bear fruit, some things that we, we may overlook from the core to the surface. In meditation, it's also useful to be able to go from surface experience to core experiences and back again you know uh, vipassana insight is generally a pretty taxing um, uh, revealing of of core experiences experiences that are are karmic are strong are uh, have power in them uh, the core of the dukkha the illness, the ill state, in however it is. So insight really takes us to that place. It's really insight into dukkha. That's that is um, challenging because uh, dukkha has tremendous energy in it, often locked up or a compulsive energy, but a powerful energy force in it. It's not just a. This isn't just a philosophical statement. Dukkha is not just a kind of Buddhist attitude, <laughs> you know, a kind of pessimistic statement about the world. Dukkha is that is that churning or that that thing, that that power of that pulls one into sorrow, lamentation, pain, grief, and despair, um, and so on, in all their forms. Mm. And insight takes us to that to that edge we go deep
and vipassana or insight is always in the Buddha's explanation coupled with samatha which is the ability to, to make things stable and settled um, to, to equalize to settle oneself and I think as I, I've kind of mentioned several times just that ability to always come back to a primary axis a primary uh, say the uprightness of the body the simplicity of the breath as it is and looking at those um, simple references to give us guidance on in the larger sphere of practice how we need core how we need these references to to keep us um, centered uh, call them refuges um, and refuges Buddha Dharma Sangha um, now Buddha we can see is both the uh, Buddha means awake it's a title it's not actually a person it's a title or a statement about a, a person or a, a, a realized being Buddha um, completely awakened so the other word that the Buddha refers to is Tathagata which means the one who has come come thus uh, so which is a kind of hmm, what that means but it means really coming to presence you know, sometimes Tathagata is seen as the one who has come sometimes it can be called the one who has gone uh, gone out of you know the, the round the, the spin, the pull gone out of that the spiraling out, the spinning out gone out of dukkha come into presence the tata is such the way it is thus, this, such you know, these are words for, for presence um, these epithets of Buddha are, are themselves are kind of like almost like have a mantric power to just you sound them and you consider them you know, what, what they're about uh, sugato means the good goer, the one who goes well or the one who travels well is, is clear is accomplished, is masterly in their um, in their penetrations they're the vichacharana sampano, the one who is um, accomplished or fulfilled in terms of both their, their, the way they, they're seeing the vija and their charana which means their conduct, their behavior Lokavidu mm. is the one who knows, the, who has seen the world uh, not, not, not seen the world and in this respect um, Buddha said that uh, Buddhas arise in the in the world by seeing the world actually as it is. Mm. And when you, if you ever look into some of the scriptures or the suttas, in particularly in the Pali Canon, which tends to have a more narrative and realistic slant to it, it's not. Some of the Mahayana sutras are are very beautiful, almost um, jubilant, exuberant, philosophical uh, works. They're, they're masterly. But it would be difficult to actually 
place them on this planet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when Mahayana Sutra generally begins with at least, you know, innumerable bodhisattvas, as innumerable as the sand grains of the Ganges River, you know, oscillating around the Buddha who's emanating out spokes of light from his forehead and it's, it's this kind of, this is, you know, huge psych- psycho- psychedelic psychodrama thing happening, you know. <laughs> Whereas in the, in the Theravada, the Buddha's kind of plodding along a road with his bowl. <laughs> <laughs> and the thing says things like, my back hurts, I need to take, I need to take a break. And does things like that. And so uh, you look at it's it's uh, this kind of narrative quality of it. It does it's very earthed. Um, uh, so the Buddha actually knowing this kind of thing, and the the language the Buddha uses is full of incredible. Someone who's actually seen ordinary life. There's lots of similes the Buddha uses about goldsmiths and arrow makers and carpenters and people who dig water and the bathman's apprentice, as we mentioned the other day, um, the nature of animals, elephants, and the way a lion behaves, and the way that birds are. He's obviously you know, looked around and seen a lot of stuff the way it actually is, on, on the surface level. Not someone who has not seen that, or kind of been somewhere else, but someone who's come into this. Uh, and by observing and l- learning uh, on the on this worldly plane how to relate um, the transcendent the indescribable to the manifest mm. this is really what a buddha does as as a buddha as as a samasang buddha which means it's someone who is able to teach and and present the Dhamma. Certainly in, in the kind of um, practice tradition that, that I come from, then you know, there's certainly we have retreats, but then a lot of it, a lot of the practice is really going on in, in daily life in, on a surface level. You know, like um, it's kind of cleaning, working, fixing things, having meetings, stuff like that. But, you know, and arguing and all that stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> Losing it. And, <laughs> uh, and going on long, long walks for weeks or months on end and getting tired and sweaty and feet hurt and, you know, think, what did I do this for? Uh, and, you know, the meditation isn't terribly refined. You've been kind of plodding along in the rain for eight hours and you sit down and there's some bit of smelly old tarpaulin. Your feet hurting, you know, you're not kind of in some exquisitely, you know, poised, balanced state. You just contemplate, you know, smelly, tired, hurt. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, just looking at dukkha on on that kind of level. And still, it's kind of come to the surface. And it's this very helpful to just get those, to see the different ends of the of the pendulum through which our consciousness can travel from the most kind of refined or, or seemingly we call them inner to things that are fairly coarse and outer. And it's, it's, um, there's an advantage in that, uh, in that kind of thing. 
namely that one doesn't take the, the core or the inner to be self now this is the taking things to be self is not necessarily again not a philosophical statement we're making we're not but it's actually that one feels one this is really this is this is where I am this is what I actually am you know uh, and as a as a kind of intensification around certain areas of experience and an absenting from other areas of experience and of course this can go one way or it can go the other way we can you know engross on a surface level where we're busy doing stuff and you know and be unwilling or unable or not knowing about pivoting in or, or swinging into a, to another to a more uh, inner kind of reality we take ourselves to be just the surface experience or on the other hand you know for a meditator the tendency can be the other way around one takes one's self or the real business to be an inner you know kind of on that level Um, even though one isn't saying that it's like whenever we lose sight of the wholeness whenever there's a moving away from the the ambiguity of our experience the wholeness of it the the ambivalences of it then there's a kind of substantiating or condensing around one quality of experience as you know which then becomes injected with meaning significance importance urgency pressure you know and it becomes dense and so in that you know there's a and that is that's kind of like part of the, the the karmic pull you know part part of it is that tendency to 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 pull and then as we come into particular areas in life then to engross in that um, without say knowing the difference between study and engrossed being engrossed you know being con- interested and being engrossed in something um, and the difference is that one can leave it, one can move out one can come back, one can move one can come and go freely um, and uh, so it, it, one wants to kind of keep aware of any tendency to to you know towards a kind of localising of one's experience uh, and certainly this is something to bring up in, in a, a retreat situation such as this, which is very, has many, many good things about it. This is why we come here, valuable things about it. But in this particular format and situation, then all the teaching, all the instruction, all the shared experience is going to be like on one, tends to be on one end of the spectrum. Yeah. We could go out and have an argument together, if you like, to sort of <laughs> get into that dharmic aspect of it, or chop some wood, or whatever. But you know what I mean. So, so the we say, well, this is, you know, and then this is other stuff that's kind of yeah, you do it around the edges, and and so one one actually finds that that or arise, it goes into that quality of valuing. Then, of course, the stuff that we have considered to be just secondary gets secondary quality attention. And so it is something we're not very mindful of, we're not very conscious of, it doesn't, doesn't yield much fruit. You know? 
So because it doesn't yield much fruit, we again trivialize it and sideline it, and then we go, you know, and so the process occurs, whereby a certain part of one's spectrum of experience becomes intensified and magnified, and other parts of it are, are become weak, numb, or, or incapacitated. And energetically, this is, this is um, uh, incorrect, because energy must always find, you know, for, for both for healing and liberation, there must be a leveling of it. It must even out. It must fill our life rather than, you know, slush down in one area of it. <coughs> so that, that very condensing is, whether we think it that way or not, that is the kind of experience of self, of identification. That's the experience of it. It's a localizing of a particular area of the spectrum of our consciousness, of our being. And when it goes like that, then the unfortunate thing is that that we can't fully do what we need to do in that area that we've actually kind of magnified because uh, energetically uh, there's not the flexibility there's not the agility we, we can feel ourselves over sensitized over intense, over urgent and those effects mean that we, we unconsciously contribute to the power of the karmic flow that we're touching into. Mm. A very useful phrase that I picked up a little while ago was in terms of uh, you know, intense karmic experiences then don't go into it until you can stay out of it. It doesn't mean stay out of it forever. It means get that feeling. You know, you can you can touch it. You can get back from it. You can leave it alone. In other words, you're not mastered by it. Then you can come back when you're ready, when you're capable, and you can dip into that and you can contemplate that. You can develop insight around that, and you can say, well, that's enough for today. You know, yes, this isn't just kind of, you know, running away. This is mm-hmm. okay. Now we'll stop for there. And you know that that sense of it, and it, certainly this was you know what um, uh, someone in life aspires to accomplish. <laughs> you know, you know, so in, in the teaching in the Buddha's time, then the summoners, the monks and nuns were, you know making robes, spent quite a bit of time just scouring around for bits of rag robes and they had to make them in particular ways and they had to go out and seek their food and they had to you know, look after their bowls and build huts and so forth. So there was a good amount of it and those had to be done in specific particular kinds of ways. A lot of the training is actually discipline is about not kind of moral stuff so much as a lot of it is just about the proper way to make a robe proper way, what kind of things you can have, 
um, how long you can keep a jar of honey for, um, making you know what kind of stuff you need to take with you when you go on a journey. So you've always got a razor, so you can shave, and a and a water filter, so you don't you can filter water, so you don't kill creatures when you drink water. Um, these you know these kinds of things. So there's a lot of attention to 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 surface stuff, um, and it means there's attention to both keeping it simple and knowing the purpose of what one what kind of requisites one has, where one's going. Mm. So the, the, the surface area of life is also monitored and we recognize that it's on the surface where we, we can actually um, accumulate or bring in more karma for good or for bad or find ways of lessening and lightening that learning particular um, habits of mind or attitudes of mind or practices that contribute to the lessening of the karmic intensity we have. Um, so, quite a bit of that can occur, that karmic intensification can occur around our um, jobs, things we do, um, our possessions, things we have, our relationships, things we're connected to. And these are all areas that need to be looked at clearly. Mm. Right livelihood. Um, and right action, right speech, and so on. And in developing these, we find there is bringing some of the the clarity or agility and the, the, the kind of feelingness of sensitivity of meditation onto areas of our life and also from those particular things such as possessions and jobs and relationships also learning you know about how to find a balance how to keep it simple how to um, keep it clear how to keep it um, from becoming from grasping or possessiveness or and so on particularly in relationships with other people and so you, you do those are certainly not sidelines in our lives those are main main thing main themes in our lives they are main themes in everybody's life um, whether we uh, recognize it or not they are, main, they are main themes in our lives and so they need to be uh, cultivated mm. so Dharma practice which is the second refuge in Buddha is that, that willingness that presence, the willingness to be present the, the willingness to span the worlds to, to know the worlds from the most refined to the coarsest, from the happy to the unhappy it's that, that, that intent and the perfection of that. Dhamma also is stretches over uh, the surface, surface of things, conventional things, um, into the depths of things, into the heart of things, from mental to physical to conventional. 
Um, and it's they and the practice bears fruit when it's it's all lined up in the same way. It all has the same um, current in it. Uh, the Buddha in is gen- generally he t- the teaching that he gave was always called Dhamma Vinaya, or this Dhamma and discipline. So he didn't. That was the phrase he normally used to, to talk about his practice, what he was presenting to people. And uh, um, vinaya means is a word meaning that which dispels or breaks up. And it's supposed to be that which dispels and breaks up the uh, foundation of, of suffering and the accumulations of karma. Classically, is it's a term that's applied to the kind of karma yoga of of the summoners of the monks and nuns. You know, their karma yoga, their their activity, their their roles and relationships and stuff like that in the world. Um, but to uh, to recognise that this is part and parcel of the presentation of a Buddha means that of course for um, people who are not summoners, people living what used to be called the household life until people no longer could afford to hold houses (laughs) or the house renting life or the the flat swapping life or the the family life Um, also requires that kind of focus Mm. this is so there's the, the moral focus the precepts and the sense of what, what, is, what is right livelihood right livelihood when you, is again a term that we can think is just about making money um, but what keeps us alive right livelihood what keeps us alive is a lot more than just physical food and physical things isn't it Know, what keeps us alive is things like do you have friends do you have uh, relationships, do you have family do you have peers do you have colleagues Though that, is, that is kind of like what right livelihood means in a larger sense, what, is, what keeps you you know properly nourished, properly alive Where do you, what places do you go to you know, where, what, what do you associate with and uh, this means that those are things that then we we are like any uh, kind of level of experience you you use discernment there's clarity, there's discernment Um, this is the focus this is not, this is the practice this this is the object that we're meditating on, this is not this we focus on, this we put aside and this is the, exactly the kind of sense of discernment that the vinaya provides. The very specific um, kind of specifications that vinaya prescribes. In, in lay life, then, those specifications are something that, in a way, you have to work out the actualities for yourself. Because it's not... Uh, 
lay life is not a unified convention like say monastic life is where we we all kind of wearing the same gear and and you know living in in very much the same kind of situations but in lay life it's it's mingled through different different ways you want to do it it's variable and yet the theme of it you know, has to bear in mind such things as what who do I associate with or how do I associate with people um, recognizing that people in terms of right livelihood right association proper association is is an important aspect of it spiritual friends uh, I think in terms of of relationships with people then this is can be extraordinarily complex uh, because of course we all exist on several levels on different levels uh, and we become different people in different situations so relationships with others there's always got to be some sense of acknowledging what's you know what's the what's the what's the game at the moment what are we in at the moment you know are we here doing doing some bit of you know digging a hole in the ground doing business or are we here to discuss how we're feeling or are we you know what are we doing you know, so that there's not getting you're kind of getting mixed messages which was always the story of the the breakfast table when I was a lad you know because for me dad it was time to get the f- some food down him before he went to work for my mum it was time to check in with you know <laughs> so uh, you know, so when, and then my father coming home is a time to come home after work and oh goodness, get some food, have dinner, and and you know just basically check out, blank out. My, my mother, it was time to, well, finally he's come back. You know, now's a chance to have a decent conversation. <laughs> you get these sorts of things happening because people are not clear about. You know, I haven't really always assume you're on the same level as everybody else. But trying to just kind of check in and acknowledge you know, what are we doing now uh, so that that you know and I think in terms of my parents particularly I mean there was a genuine affection and warmth it wasn't they were, didn't like each other but um, just by not being able to find you know find a place where they could actually be playing the same tune um, meant there would be quite a lot of of you know, loss and dissonance and you know fed upness and misunderstandings and it's a problem you know, complaining something going on. they were good enough people to actually manage to kind of work through it all but you realize just how much more useful it would have been to actually have some structure some framework some frame of reference to you know Okay, we're we're doing this together now. How do we how do we do this thing, and not just tumble along in it? Um, say, well, it's a time we just kind of, you know, it's time to go out and do some work and do that, or it's time to, but we need also time to be with each other, and being able to kind of be a bit clear about that. 
So quite a lot of, of discernment. That means being able to put aside something that could be interesting, useful, urgent, necessary, and so on. Saying, yeah, but in the sphere of business or work, it's urgent, necessary. But in the sphere of personal relationships, it doesn't actually come in. You know, now there's a time and place to say, well, that has to be put aside for this time, and we do that. And there's always that that sort of tug and pull that occurs whenever you apply discernment and a sense of discipline to life. There's always going to experience that 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 tug, that slight tension between different um, different trends, ambivalences. And that has to be negotiated, that particular pull. Yeah. In, in many respects. That in a way is the heart of the of Vinaya is to understand the pull of two equally interesting, pleasant experiences or useful experiences and discern which is the appropriate one at the time for the for this particular time. You know, creating boundaries, learning to let go of things. Certainly, you know, in, in contemporary monastic life, it's this is something that uh, has to be a highly developed art because there's so much stuff. It's, we live in a complex society of millions of people and global communications um, going on. So you can and you can be the the ironic thing now is that the, the monastics are fixed and lay people are itinerant. <laughs> it's usually the other way around. The lay people stayed in their villages, you know, day in, day out for generations and the monastics kind of tripped around all over the place. And now we sit in our monasteries over 20, 25 years, these kind of things build up and you notice, you know, the, the lay people are kind of moving around, changing their, doing this, that and the other. So you've got so the monastery actually becomes a kind of source where a lot of our stuff is stored um, dharmically and a lot of connections are made. So you find very often you're servicing five or six different levels of, of, of connectedness. You know, the training, the administration, the management, the, um, you know, the Dhamma talks, the worthwhile causes that are going on. Um, retreats such as this, um, good lay friends, you've got at least five or six levels of, of commitment to make. And learning how to say, well, this is a great thing, but, yeah, I can't do it. Yeah. I really, really think this is a very good thing to do, but I can't do it. And that's always, there's always some sense of tension around that, disappointment around that. And, I mean, this to me is, is something that's extremely relevant for all of us. I'm sure you all have those same kinds of decisions to make. And, you know, you know as, as I could find myself feeling, well, you know, as a monk, I should just get down and really do the practice and really meditate and do the practice, you know. So I, whenever I you know, read some of these books of these masters who spent 30 years in a cave, 
you know, and they didn't look up once in 30 years. (laughs) Oh my goodness, Uh, what am I doing, you know? Really, I start slacking, you know, just getting stuck in worldly stuff and da 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 da. Right, meditate, meditate, meditate. And then, you know, you kind of look at this stack of mail on the desk or whatever, and you're thinking, don't be so selfish. Do some work. Go and do some work. So you go and do some work saying, don't keep distracting yourself. Go and meditate. (laughs) (laughs) Go and meditate. Don't be so selfish. Do some work. Oh, shut up. (laughs) (laughs) You know, you're kind of swinging from one end of the spectrum to the other and not negotiating that movement. So moving on a level of guilt and demand rather than mindfully with clear comprehension. Just, you know, which aspect of my life do I feel most guilty about at the moment? <laughs> you know, which, is, which is the telephone that's screaming the loudest? You know, and that's the one I'll answer. No, this isn't the way to operate, is it? Because if you're acting on that basis, then whatever you do, you, you carry that same karmic effect, you feel guilty about doing this or you end up resenting it so that meditation becomes just something I feel guilty if I don't do it so then when I do do it I just feel like a schoolboy, you know, staying behind at school writing out his lines you know, okay, do your three hours of Anapanasati <laughs> and then maybe the guilt will drop enough to do something else, you know, I've been good today this is not, you know, is this awakening? <laughs> and uh, trying to see, hold both the worlds in a balance. Uh, and knowing, you know, particularly using those things to, to work with one's ability or propensity karmically to give oneself away to give away the 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 clarity the mindfulness the presence and going to, to some habit that we feel we should be doing so with that when we do that, we carry along the, the quality of karmic imprint that of dukkha, which is sort of guilt, feeling should, the pressure. You can feel the, the push of it, and so whenever you start to feel push occurring, you know that's that's you get a whiff of the creature. That's 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 karma. The push, the pu- when it's coming from from outside you, as it were. It's not a joyful moving into an open space, but a pushing, you know, being pushed along. And that is the thing that in daily life we particu- particularly to be on guard against, not aware of. And actually, if you can touch that on, on the surface level of your life you can actually 
drop or, or drop the karmic push and actually do more or less the same things from a different place and that's really interesting I was saying to some people today how the many, one of the many things I, I do which I think is a good thing to do is I, I sort out various Dhamma talks and things that have been made and I make sure they get edited and I get them print, you know, I do the work the editing, getting stuff printed out and just putting out a regular newsletter which I think is a helpful thing you know, a sense of connection to, to a wide thousands of people, some of them living in different countries and I think you know, people at the Gaia House and so on, newsletters are good things to do, you know, it's good to keep in touch and uh, so I do this or I have been doing this for ooh, 18 years, 20 years or so and I was saying, you know, what I so with that kind of momentum behind it, that kind of expectation behind it, it's easy to make it into another kind of burden. And I say, actually, I, I practice with it that that every time the time time comes along, I make the the mental determination like, if this doesn't happen that's okay, it has to be okay if it doesn't happen yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's free anyway so if it doesn't happen, that's just the way it is because I'm going to drop dead one day probably over a keyboard <laughs> I keep going on at this rate <laughs> and then it won't happen so, you know, today I've dropped dead you know, just like that, it doesn't happen and that feeling of but, but, but they got, you know, but they don't know. But, so what? <laughs> you know? yeah. oh. And then at that time, when you drop it like that. From a different place. And that's like a thing to cultivate on, ma- on many levels, you know. When you start, when we do things and we work with things, or we have relationships with other people and so forth, and the th- the, the thing kind of steps outside us and starts to hang on top of us or push us along, either becomes a weight or it becomes a, has velocity to it. It sort of pushes you along, and then it's a time when in terms of Dharma practice, it's time to say, blow the whistle, stop. Yeah. And there's always that thinking, you might not pick it up. But if you do that, you, like trusting your life, that if you are able to stop the karmic impulse of things, then giving yourself the confidence and the trust that what you will do will come from a place of clarity and presence it won't come from a place of compulsion and guilt and shame and they might not and what if he doesn't and they will feel this and all that sort of stuff 
and you'll probably do the best thing that could be done in that situation and if you have relationships with other people if they can't accept the best that you can do it's not a really workable relationship (laughs) you know it's always got to be some kind of external standard rather than look this is the best I can do right now okay yeah yeah great thank you very much this is the best I can be right now you know well thank you you know, then this is beautiful isn't it rather than you've always got to do this you've always got to do that <laughs> and then the thing just becomes so sour and heavy you know. and seeing if one can in fact within the realm of conventions and duties and responsibilities be able to just do that, that, make that little journey, do that particular trick or play where you consider you know, things such as what if I die tonight? And the, you, know, you go past the quivering of but it shouldn't and they won't, and, but what if you die tonight? And, okay, right. Yeah. And do you want to live life truly? Or do you want to live life based upon that velocity, that pressure, that weight? It's so convincing. And we can all participate and collude in that. You know, when I get into those kind of, well, we should and we ought to, we must, and everybody else can, can resonate to that particular tune. And the whole scene goes, yes, we should and we could, we must, oh my goodness. You know, uh, somebody has to ring a bell or blow a whistle and say, hey guys, what are we doing? You know, bong, bong, bong. Because <laughs> so, you, you get, it's such an easy trance to fall into. And we'll all kind of collaborate and support that with our kind of, you know, because we've all got that karmic potential to, 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 you know, to, to actually take on dukkha, you know, as our, as our refuge, as our kind of thing that we, you're feeling strained and pressurized, you must be doing a good job. <laughs> you know, that, that kind of thing. And, and so, you know, friends become friends when they can, when it's a place where you, you can blow the whistle on, on one's intensity, on one's propensities, on one's heedless plummeting into <laughs> captivity <laughs> and what I found is the be- beauty of it is sometimes you know that when that whistle blows then right looks like we don't do that <laughs> fine okay or it blows and we think yeah yeah we, can, yeah, we do that. That's fine. That's a good thing to do. You know? But you, you don't really know. And uh, so quite a few of the you know, in monasteries, you know, that does find it's rather interesting rhythm to them. 
because he's kind of going chugging along in one direction and the sort of whistle gets blown and the thing just stops <laughs> you know review and thinking oh well, we didn't need to do that and you can actually change change direction sometimes it means one has to just say well I don't know right now you know we have to await until conditions, the appropriate conditions arise. So we can't say yes or no, we can say waiting. You know, it's, it's, it's incomplete yet, it still hasn't arrived at a place of completion. And maybe in you know, a week's time, you know, things will have settled, minds will have cleared, then yeah, we can act on that. And that's, actually that's the to my mind it's more like the real way it is there's something frightening about the mechanical um, systems that, that humans get stuck into um, and probably the, the, the most important refuge in right livelihood is going to be other people systems and structures however well meaning they are are always going to Lack that agility, that ability to to step out of their of their orbit. Humans, we can always move surface to center, you know, from activity back to you know review, go back to core, go back to what are we, what are the values, what are, is this on the right track? Kind of thing, you know, you know, that's that's the human capacity. Is that ability to move across a spectrum? So this is to be very much encouraged. Yeah. And it's even in in my experience been the case that in terms of long term meditators, you know, people who've been living this kind of life for you know, ten, twenty years or so. On a time when actually it seems you know, have to leave the robes. You know, because it's not an ultimate statement about a convention, but just the process is not that, you know, it's gone out for them. It's it's uh, it's not the right thing anymore. And it's not a statement about a convention, just a statement about the kind of process they're going through, experience they're going through. Uh, so you, when you look at that, and of course there can be that feeling of uh, couldn't do it, or lost it, or, or just the sense of sadness at, at somebody moving out. And yet it's been quite a, an important experience for us to actually see those and, and try to respect that. And I think in terms of any relationship, it's like how to say, well, this one was good, you know, and now it is not not relevant, not working, you know. Not from a place of, you know, greed, demand, passion, but just is this actually furthering clarity, furthering you know what my life is about, what our what our lives are about, or is it not? And being able to actually, you know, just go push on pause button, 
look around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is good. This is good. Mm-hmm. Or there's something wrong here that we can fix, or whatever. That process of review in life is an important thing to cultivate. Uh, to review um, one's ethical standards, how they, and behavioral standards, how they can slide. Uh, the Buddha's advice was one should, to his disciples, was do this three times a day, in the morning, in the afternoon, in the evening. So uh, in monastic life we have a fortnightly review Every two weeks you have a kind of full recitation of all the training you have to go through that and consider it and reflect on it. And I think this is a very useful thing to do, just to, just to keep the line clear and to be, understand what processes we're going through and keep the reference clear, making a refuge out of one's... The things, the ethical standards that one really feels are good and useful. And this means some things have to be Given a, put aside, given up, that are interesting, um, you know, could be, but you know, there's always that tension in it. To be able to do that requires an artist to be uh, courageous because the pull of karma is always into kind of perpetuating, becoming, accelerating, going along. So it kind of pulls us along. And there's something uh, hypnotic about it. Just being pulled along, hypnotic about it. It inclines towards becoming, towards becoming something, towards patterning, towards strengthening a particular pattern. And our lives tend to go in that way where we we go into roles and identities and functions and so on. And there's something about that that we can start to measure our lives in terms of um, what we have become, where we're going. And not take the opportunity to frequently stop and realize we're not going anywhere. Or part, you know, one one level we're not going anywhere. Mm. Mindfulness, uh, a lot of uh, meditation practice on the surface is called <coughs> recollection, reflection. Uh, very in, uh, encouraged Dharma practice. Again, it's because it doesn't have the same sense of depth to it, of absorption or calm, we can ignore it. Yet, uh, it's a good percentage of mind cultivation is just reflection, actually considering and thinking of certain things. Buddha Dharma Sangha is one, is one very important area of reflection just bringing those to mind, uh, awakening, this is the human potential. Um, 
there is a teacher there is that which can be taught which, which we learned you know we're not just out here in the water kind of bobbing around on our own there's a path there's a dhamma you know I'm feeling the sense of you know there are definite handholds on this experience that we can we can get to uh, reflections on recollecting the uh, good karma and precepts and recollecting death old age sickness death I'm of the nature to sicken I'm of the nature to die I'm of the nature to age all that is mine beloved and pleasing <coughs> will become separate from me and I am the owner of my karma these are recollections um, and the Buddha said well, someone who said they were cultivating the recollection of death and they, he said how often do you do it and the, he said oh I do it every day and the Buddha said well that's quite it's not enough so then this other monk said well I do it three times a day and the Buddha said yeah, it's not bad it's not enough and so this last monk said I do it every time I breathe in every time I breathe out <laughs> <laughs> the Buddha said, yeah, that's it, you got it. <laughs> like, breathe like this one is your last breath in, and your last breath out. This is when you perfected it. So just to, to, you know, if we can take a day like, hey, this is the last day, you know, this is the last day then. Wonderfully clearing, thinking all the petty stuff, you're thinking, yes, you know the little grudges and get evens and the you know the, even the petty attitudes we have about ourselves just kind of slough it all off. This is the last day. is a is a wonderful recollection. You know, and to be able in meditation just to to take one breath like this is the last breath. Savor it. Be with it. You know, breathing in, breathing out then you know, this leads us to the develop, real development of, of mindfulness of breathing. And if we do that in our lives, it just even as, as at the end of the day, or the, you know, this was the last day, it has the same clarifying and uh, qualifying experience. Death is what brings us really alive. When we live as if when we live as if we're gonna, never going to die, we act as if we're dead. As it's just you know, tumbling along, and we go, and it's just like you know, fish. We we can be like just like fish flowing flown down the stream. When death is what brings us really alive, you know. Because in that moment of really holding that, then you come, one comes into balance. What is there if this is the last day? You know. What it, what is you know what is there? For me, there's a f- feeling of gratitude for this experience there's a feeling of 
forgiving, forgive. And loving and compassion and clarity. And there's a feeling of wonder at the mystery of this experience. And it's exactly the same day as I can have, you know, as can be considered, oh, this is Friday, tomorrow, I've got got to sort that out by Tuesday, and it's going to be that phone call on Sunday, and I'd better get on with that. You know, that kind of thing, it can be, in terms of diary, it can be exactly the same day as the day when, um, well, may all things be well, you know, this has been good. Just by one recollection, you can turn it from uh, this kind of labyrinth of, of samsara into a moment of, of transcendence and clarity. <coughs> These are useful recollections for us. They're things that help to make the surface of our life a place of uh, great change, a place of great turning around of powerful karmic tendencies. and. Uh, if we do this, then the effect uh, energetically runs through the system because uh, energetically surface and core are really just two ends of the spectrum. If you affect one, you must affect the other. And stuff that we can't actually shift at the core because we're too close to it and therefore we're still pulled by it we're still intimidated by it, we're still rattled by it, you know, we actually can't find a balance with it. We have to find, to work with that by coming to a place out seemingly away from it. And this is a real thing to to kind of remember in in your life. Sometimes you deal with things by not touching them, you know, but by touching into the, the same stream where it occurs another place where you have more capacity. Mm-hmm. And very common and big mistake we make is to feel that, you know, in order to, to, to solve it you have to get into it. You get in, oh goodness, ooh, this is heavy stuff. Wow. (laughs) Whoa, whoa, in a pain. Whoa, God, I didn't realize I was such a wreck till I, you know. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I am. This is really what I am. My goodness, the veil, you know, the veils have lifted. I've seen the true nature of what I am. Ah. I think, you know. Okay, okay, come up, you know, up, 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 <laughs> up and out, <laughs> go for a walk, dig the garden, you know, oh, yeah, okay, right, and, you know, so, but then it's not just to shut down those things, but you see that in daily life you're getting the same kind of disturbance patterns occur, the same sense of just about to be overwhelmed, you know, whoa, the same sense of, ooh, this is, this is heavy, being shoved along, the same sense of, my God, what are we going to do? <laughs> the same sense of just freezing out like, uh, 
twist telly on. <laughs> you know, those same kind of things happen if we can deal with them at that level. Then actually, that effect runs right through the right through the whole system. We have another day or so together, and uh, just to really uh, appreciate, just to kind of step back, appreciate this uh, this practice, this life, your your life, uh, and you know, take your time, feed it, nourish yourself on what goodness has arisen, um, keep it light, and tomorrow's. If, it, if we have it tomorrow, we'll start from there. And this may be the last night. <laughs> <laughs>